In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest with us, Matt Matros. Um, he is the founder and CEO of Shopflix. Welcome to the show, Matt. Very special. I think my, my mom is pretty much the only one that says that when she introduces me, but thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. I, I'm actually super excited. I looked at your background and there's, uh, you know, it's, it's a non-conventional to, to a large extent, but very exciting stuff and then looking uh, forward to kind of digging deep and learning more about you. Before we get started, tell everyone a little bit about Matt. I appreciate the intro. I've been told I have a face for podcasts, so <laughs> I, that should be perfect for this one. The super fast story, I'm from California, born and raised, University of Michigan for graduate school, came to Chicago to work for Kraft Foods. Pretty early on in my career at Kraft, realized I didn't want to work for a big company. So I took all my life savings and got some SBA loans and opened up the first protein bar in 2009. We were the first healthy food option darn near in the country. I grew that concept across Washington, D.C., Chicago land, and Denver, about 20 locations across the country. Ended up selling a majority of the business to Catterton Partners. It's a big consumer-focused private equity firm. Then from there, I got into the coffee business, which was a huge mistake. Huge waste. Starbucks won, guys. Starbucks won. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts is second and McDonald's is third. But if you want to try to be fourth, that's all cool. In all seriousness, no, started Limitless, which was a coffee business. Pattern sort of after Bulletproof. I got pretty lucky, though, because in the darn near bankruptcy of that business, I sprinkled caffeine powder in my LaCroix. Um, this was in late 2017 and then realized nobody was selling caffeinated sparkling water. At the time, LaCroix was huge. Cold called co-packers across the country and ended up getting Dr. Pepper actually to produce a product for me. Follow that up with a national launch at Walmart, which I was exceptionally lucky to get, and then ended up selling the business to Kurt Dr. Pepper in January 2020. That is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it was a, that's a tough, tough way to, to synthesize 42 years into a couple of minutes. <laughs> and now here I am trying to get into the, the shopping and future of media and retail business. Well, you also started a couple, did you start another uh, cafe bar at Eddie's? Do I have that right? I have a restaurant here in Chicago called Eddie's Cafe, Eddie's All Day Cafe. Edie's, okay. okay. Yep. When I sold, I have Limitless as coffee shops. And then when I sold the brand to Craig Dr. Pepper, I had to re, they took the brand. So I had to reposition the business, which thank God I was. Because like I said, Starbucks, McDonald's, and Dunkin' Donuts, they won coffee. <laughs> um, but I got fortunate. I teamed up with a partner. A guy named Arturo Gomez of Rocket Ranch Productions here in Chicago, and we've opened up EDs, and it's been great. Actually, it's we opened in August of pandemic summer, and it's been it's been pretty awesome. In fact, we're we're looking at future sites, so all is good there. So yeah, I'm a brick and mortarer through and through, and I'm trying to do this digital thing. But you you can take the brick and you can take the mortar out of the guy or whatever that expression. <laughs> Tell us, Matt. So one question for you, actually, this is a question that comes up all the time. Or some of our restaurant partners and customers. Um, 
some of these restaurant brands are thinking, you know, I have this special product that I, you know, put on the table or special, you know, sauce or whatever the case may be that I want to go package up and sell. And given your kind of experience with Limitless, I think, uh, you know, it'd be super cool to, to understand what does it take to go get like a product initially kind of launched, you know, whether it's kind of a smaller scale or, or even larger scale, what, what kind of goes into that? The thing about consumer packaged goods is there's only two ways to do it. Uh, way one is really small and gorilla and sold at, you know, flea markets and farmer's markets. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's really big. So there's not really much in between. So what I recommend for folks who have that product or that spe- literal special sauce that they want to try to sell is um, to try to sell it sort of guerrilla style in their restaurants or in their stores, see if there's a market and then try to go big. Now, the reason why there's only smaller big is because of food safety. It's not because of, you know, the lack of a market for it or there's not because people don't think your special sauce is great. It's just uh, in order to sell commercially available products to the mass market, it has to be produced in a food safe environment. And there's really only so many ways to do that from a manufacturing perspective that allows the product to have shelf life that will make it through to distribution. So that's why big manufacturing exists. Now, on the other end of things, you can do it with your you know, farmer market size production in your own restaurants. And that's just a good way to kind of get an early test of concept or proof of concept. Awesome. That's great advice. Now let's fast forward to Shopflix. Um, what, what do you guys do at Shopflix? Shopflix is, we like to say that we're content with a click to buy. So we create engaging content. We are a television network that streams to you through our app, through our website, and uh, through YouTube mostly. Um, we create stories that allow consumer brands to really connect with the consumer in a way that they wouldn't traditionally do through advertising or through static social media. So basically, we write shows and we cast brands or founders as the stars of the show. One example is we have a show called Tanner Tries. It's about your sort of lovable, everyday neighborhood kid. He doesn't really know how to do many things, but he certainly tries. So we put Tanner in a kitchen and in one episode, he tries to make a cake using fancy sprinkles or he tries to use the home fitness equipment mirror. And it's funny and it's engaging, but you also get to learn about the product at the same time. So that's what Shopflix does. And then it's all under the beautiful packaging of having a quick and easy click to buy experience. So it's really a way to learn about brands. Your customers basically kind of, you build this content up and and do you, how do you charge it? Do you charge them to to go on the show or is it kind of a a combination of ref share? Like how how do you charge? uh, It's a little, little bit of both. Not every brand pays to be on our air. So we start by writing really good television shows. And I, I say television, but really obviously we're streaming, but it's the same behavior of television. So we start by writing really good shows. We have a, a writer's room of Hollywood based writers that are working on some pretty amazing things. And then they create shows for us. And then we go to cast brands in them in the same way that Steven Spielberg would look to cast Brad Pitt. So we'll approach brands saying, hey, we're looking, we're doing a Tanner tries to best night's sleep. So we're looking for brands that fit within this best night's sleep. Are you interested? Sometimes the brand will say, yes, sign me up. Sometimes the brand will say, you know, that's really interesting, but we have a better way we like or a more preferred way to tell our story. We like to tell it as a founder story. Um, in which case we'll put them into another one of our shows. But each brand has a different way they like their story told. And oftentimes you really sort of have to dig deep within the brand to get that. And Shopflix exists to give them that platform to either tell the brand story, the founder story, or the product story. And what, what what's kind of a typical customer? We have a this this exact picture of the peace sign, which is a third, a third, a third. 
we have about a third of sort of everyday mega brands. So brands that you've heard of every day, Yeti coolers, mirror fitness. We have a third, what we call buzz brands. So these are brands that are getting a lot of attention either through social media or the blogger sphere, you know, brands like Stoka, childcare or goalie vitamins. And then we have brands that we call our treasure hunt brands. So these are brands that you might not normally have discovered, but look to find through interesting retail experiences, sort of like how when you go to Costco, you discover a brand that you typically aren't aware of or haven't heard of. In these instances, I'm thinking of Lasso, which is this amazing jewelry organizer that a lot of women definitely need, but wish to <laughs> have existed for years. And now, thanks to Shopflix, they know that it exists. That's awesome. That's so awesome. One of the questions that we get a lot from uh, our listeners is how do you initially, again, this goes back to more like kind of the restaurant brands and even some retail brands. How do you get a product? If there's an idea for product or there's like a secret sauce or whatever that's made, how do you build a product that's appealing to consumers? Like you already have the customer maybe in in location, but you want to go test out in different markets. You want to see if it's going to be appeal to kind of the masses, if you will. How, How do you gauge that? First way is, is, and the best way is to sell them what they want to buy, not try to force it. So actually in my first restaurant, Protein Bar, which picture for those listening picture, it's a, it's a healthy, fast, casual. So picture like a healthy Chipotle in sort of size and format and way you would use it. Um, when I first opened Protein Bar, we were only protein shakes. I was trying to be more of a healthy Jamba Juice. And we would get a, a few thousand dollars in sales a day in the loop, but we needed to be doing about 3000 a day to break even. So out of sheer survival, I added food to the menu, and that's when things took off. But it was really when I started selling what people wanted to buy, <laughs> just with my own, my own specific twist. Um, and then it was time to take the show on the road. So in order to do that, I got out of the loop. So our first location was in Chicago's Loop, right downtown across the street from Sears Tower. Uh, we tried another adjacent neighborhood. That worked great. Went back into loop for stores three, four, five. And then by store six, we were able to try it in another location. We went to Washington, D.C. But you never know until you try. Uh, the thing about restaurants and retail is you can't really test much. You just got to open it up. Sure, you can test your recipes on friends and family, but you know friends and family are heavily biased. And you can give your samples to people who are just trying to be nice. And But until you actually open your restaurant or open your retailer... You won't ever really know. And that's that's really the challenge of retail, unfortunately, is that so much of the effort and energy is put into the upfront just to get it open. And then the hard work really comes after it's open. So you have these two levels of hard work. Like you really got to struggle. It's expensive to get it open and then it's hard to, to get people in. Um, but once you do and you find that thing that people love and they rave about, just do more of that. And how did you how did you know it was the right time for location two, three, four, five? And I think you got up to what twenty locations? Yeah, we we're up twenty locations. For me, it was really earning the right to expand. You know, I always had aspirations when I opened the first protein bar to be this mega chain, but it was really earning that right. And it wasn't until we were bursting at the seams and I had customers who would wait literally twenty seven minutes in line. And I knew this because I would be working the cash register. And when someone would walk in, I would take the receipt that had just printed out and I would look at whoever just walked in. So let's just say, you know, a gentleman in striped shirt walked in. So I take the receipt that was printing right when he walked in and I would write white shirt, striped shirt on it. I'd set it aside. And by the time that gentleman snaked his way through to the restaurant, I would take his receipt and then staple it to it. And then afterwards I'd look to see at the time, 27 minutes at its peak uh, for protein, but I was in the summer of 2010. So by that point, I had known that it was really time to get the show on the road. 
um, and start going to, to more places within Chicago. But it wasn't until we had built up a good infrastructure that we took it outside of the city. The hardest thing to do is really scaling the culture of the company. It's particularly hard location to location within a, your hometown, but it's it's extra hard when you go to another city and you don't have that history. You don't have your friends. You don't have your support network. You don't have your vendors. You can't just walk into city hall. So I always recommend folks to try to expand first within their own own immediate world and then then take it on the road. The Beatles became famous, but they didn't go on the road until they became famous at home. You may think your stuff is great and until you can get do it at home doesn't make the traveling worth it. Totally. And you said you said one of the things that you said is, you know, one of the challenges that you had as you were expanding into multiple locations was keeping the culture. Is that the only challenge? Was there other things that you kind of give a, as advice to other operators that are looking to go kind of big? Yeah, I was talking to a upstart restaurateur yesterday. The other piece of advice is around locations. That and for a retailer, that is the single most important decision you're going to make. And oftentimes outside of your own home market, you rely too much on folks that have a little bit of not the same incentives as used to, you know, traditionally brokers or other people in town, but ultimately they're not the ones sinking a half a million or a million dollars into the location and signing a 10 year lease. So my biggest piece of advice is really get to know whatever that location is. If it's outside of your home market, spend more time there than you think you need. And it's not spending time doing crazy things. It's literally just sitting, sitting at the, the Starbucks across the street and counting, but sit there all day. Don't just go in for a coffee. Sit there all day and count people. Look at people walk by. Look how they how they use the area. I've had I opened a location in Boston, which is an area of Arlington, Virginia. And when you look at all the numbers, it would say, oh, this is the number one Chipotle and this is the number one noodles in the submarket. And then I opened my protein bar in Boston. It was a huge failure. And as we were just on the wrong side of the street, literally the wrong side of the street. So all the data would show you have to be in Boston, but the data doesn't say which side of the street you got to be on. So really understanding the market and really being there and seeing it more than just taking a broker's advice for it. Also, try to visit it on multiple weather patterns. I know you can't plan for weather, but every retail space looks great on a 75 degree day. You really want to love the retail space when it's you know rainy, cloudy and gross out. That's when you really want to fall in love with the space. And so let's say now I have my, you know, my, my new location open. I have multiple locations. When you're an owner operator, giving great kind of customer experience and customer service in one location is easier, right? When you get to multiple locations, it gets harder. What are some of the keys to excel on, you know, building a really great in-location customer experience? Well, it's remembering that the most important people in a retail experience are the lowest people on the totem pole from a you know, sort of like a corporate structure perspective. It's it's your in-unit um, associates or employees. So really taking care of them. I think start, we've mentioned Starbucks a few times. Starbucks does probably best-in-class job of taking care of, of their associates. They call them partners. And really making sure they have a great lifestyle so that if they're happy, they show up happy to work. Um, I'm a firm believer in that. It's really hard to motivate someone who's typically working a lower wage job or right near minimum wage to be as excited and motivated as you as the owner are. But if you can share in the vision, if you can give him or her things to grow for or or a place to be and and personally learn and develop, then they're going to be all happier. Yeah. One of the other kind of questions, especially with nowadays where it's it's harder to get, you know, team members, it's harder to get labor and locations. A large portion of operators are trying to figure out 
how do I engage, capture, excite people to kind of come work with my restaurant brand or retail brand or brick and mortar concept? What are, what are some ways? Do you have any any sort of advice there? Of you know, there's there's more positions than people right now. How do you attract the best talent? Gosh, this is a real tough time for the restaurant industry, and I would say broader uh, retail in general because of what you just said. And and you can ask any economist for their reasons why it is. Is it because the the low wage workforce hasn't come back from the pandemic because of childcare? Is it because they've found other jobs? Is it because there are other things to do, like gig economy jobs, like Uber drivers or Instacart shoppers? Maybe it's kind of all of them combined. So my advice, and we're talking about this with EDs now, is to try to show that restaurants can be a career and not just a job. And that usually happens with growth, education, work-life balance, and then other opportunities within the organization. Uh, at least that's what we're trying. We're hoping. It's hard to do, obviously, if you just have a single unit restaurant for, for folks with you know single units or small amount of units. Uh, my advice there would be to try to cut them into the family in whatever way that means to you. That may literally be, you know, from a from a profit share perspective, make them feel like they're owners. Or even just little things like opening up the books to them so they can see the transparency in the business and how things are doing so they can really feel like owners in it. Uh, one of the better books on this topic is called Great Game of Business, which which really talks about sort of the how you get your employees really fully engaged to feel like they're owners in the company all the way from top to bottom. We've been also, of course, this last year, year and a half, whatever, has been really there's there's been a new customer experience perspective that's been developed all the way from uh, curbside, you know, buy buy online, pick up in store, like all these different technologies flying all over the place. What technology do you think is really important for restaurants to deploy now? And what 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 technology do you think is in the next few years is, is really important to take a look at? I'm such a believer in follow the leader. So in fast casual, the leaders are Chipotle and Starbucks. They're really setting the norm. So if you're in the coffee space and you want to compete with Starbucks and you don't have some sort of order ahead mechanism, you might be missing out. If you're in fast casual food and you don't have some sort of a mechanism to allow the consumer to order while they're walking there and get it delivered, things like that, then you're missing out. That being said, there's there aren't too many other technologies that I'm a I'm a big believer in from a traditional restaurant experience just because I know folks, uh, they want to detach when they go to restaurants. So as long as you can make it easy for them to do that, what I'm talking about is making a reservation. So pretty much open table resi and some of the other guys that are in the online reservation space are the technologies you want to use. But there's not too many other technologies that I would say that aren't being adopted by the big guys that I think it's makes sense for the small guy to do. It's just too hard to change consumer behavior. Let Starbucks and McDonald's and, and Chipotle try to do that because they have the resources and they also have the audience to be able to, to do that. But once they do follow fast and start to adopt some of the things that those guys do, because they're really setting the behavior. And what do you think from a store standpoint? So I'm in the store location nowadays, of course, it's like harder to also compete, right? Because there's, uh, you know, now there's a lot, lot going on with delivery and other mechanisms where you could conceptually just order from a place that you've never even walked into. But if you're walking in, because on average you're spending more if you're walking into a brick and mortar location, I think this last stats where you spend about 18% more if you walk into a location. If you're walking in, what's important there from a technology standpoint, from an engagement standpoint, from a, you know, a, even a vibe standpoint, like what's, what's important to you? 
Honestly, it's it's the basics, right? Why do people go into retail spaces? They want to feel comfortable. They want to feel special. They want to be entertained. They want to feel satisfied. And they want to do it all for value. Those are basic stuff. Now, there certainly are technology tools that enable that, right? There's little things that you can do that emit smells, right? And that's a technology and it would change by, you know, day part. So if that's what you think your customer needs to feel comfortable and feel welcome and feel warmed by the staff, but there's not really a, a robot that's hospitality. <laughs> you know, there's not, I haven't seen like the the robot butler, which is, that doesn't exist yet. And it may be some time before that gets implemented. So there's still really that human touch if you do want to stay within the retail space. And there certainly is a a need for it. There's certainly a desire for it. Heck, more almost more than ever. And the restaurants and retailers that survived through the pandemic, either through government assistance or just sheer will or grit or because they're awesome operators, they'll thrive because they were able to survive <laughs> hard as downturn. Oh, by the way, now a third of the businesses that they may have been competing with don't even really exist anymore. I think there's definitely, and I think one of the things that, you know, I we at least give as advice to operators and and companies is, you know, you, you first got to start with your brand, right? What is your brand? What is it meant to mean to you? Then what is it meant to me, be meant to your, your customers? And then from there, what are some of the things that you can kind of play into in a location, whether it's the music or, you know, do I have, you know, sports kind of rolling at 4 p.m. every day or whatever the, the case may be? What vibe do I want to create to, to get some of these, these customers back and also get that brand loyalty? Like I have a, I have a seven-year-old son. And he pulls me into, um, you know, this, for lack of a better way to say this, a mediocre restaurant in our hometown that we go to every, almost every week, just because he wants to go in and play with that little iPad game that's on every table. You know what I mean? So like that vibe that's created and we go spend money with this brand every week and we're loyal. And I think part of that is, is also like what, what I think coming out of the pandemic, I think is important for brands to look at, not necessarily doing that exact thing, but how do you engage with that, you know, that the end user, that customer that you, that you want to. That's what you guys do. That's what Radiant does best, right? They help tools for retailers and restaurants to really engage, right? That's the word, engage. But it has to be, it can't be disingenuous or fake or forced. Like you can't just throw a, a screen somewhere just because you want to have a digital retail experience. It really has to be a part of what you already do. And although I'm an old-fashioned restaurateur and an old-fashioned retailer, you can still have an old-fashioned feel or vibe you have a little bit of touch of, of the new technology. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Totally. And you said it, you said it correctly. It depends on what, what the brand's all about, right? And, and based on that, like what experience they want to create. Totally agreed. What do you think is, uh, as far as like, you've been super successful and now, you know, you have your new company, Shopflix, but I'm, I'm curious, what, what got you started with Shopflix? It's kind of a little bit of a, you know, from, from what, you, what you've kind of done in the past, if you will, it's, it's a little bit different. So what got you started with Shopflix? Yeah, so it was a, this is a business that, you know, God willing, if we succeed, is another one of the ones that were born out of crisis. You know, just like Instacart and Airbnb came out of the 2008 crisis, Shoplix was born in the pandemic. I had just sold Limitless to Craig Dr. Pepper, and my wife and I were expecting a baby. We couldn't go to Bye Bye Baby, right? That's the first thing you'd want to do when you're expecting a child. You talk about your seven-year-old. Like, we we wanted to go test drive strollers. That's the most important purchase we're going to do. And we couldn't do it. It was closed. So then you go and you go to brand websites and they're static and boring and, and don't really speak to me in the way I want to be spoken to. And you go to YouTube reviews and they're a little biased or they're not really me. 
So we found that the best experience was watching couples in the park that resemble our family and seeing how they engage with their baby stroller, talking to them from six feet away, asking them questions. And that was where the idea from Chocolate was born. That sort of with the undercurrent of what's happening with live stream retail in, in Asian economies, namely China and South Korea. That was where we decided to to take on this new form where we're a little bit different than than some of the shoppable content apps is we focus a little bit less on the hard sell. We're not modern QVC. We're really more of a digital storyteller, more of a television show. But many of us in this space of shoppable content may may exist for a long, long time. As you're looking at the different brands that you work with, is there like a particular audience that works best for your technology? We love brands that sort of have the triple threat, we call it, that have an amazing brand themselves, just the brand, the aesthetics, the, the, the brand promise, the whole, the whole shebang on the brand. Then they have an amazing product. So the product backs up the brand. But then sort of like the third you know, silver bullet of them all is the great founder story. There's just not a lot of brands that have all three of those. Many brands have two of the three. Or especially in today's world of creating a DTC brand sort of in your kitchen, it's very easy to do. Not a lot of brands have that sort of backstory or founder DNA. So our sweet spot really is brands that have a great founder story, a great product, and a cool brand to back it up. What is your opinion on ShopFlix? Are you more experiential? Are you more traditional live streaming? Like, How do you look at yourself as, as a company? We want to bring the tradition, the best parts of retail that used to exist that really don't anymore, either because humans aren't going to retailers anymore or because they don't trust the makeup counter, right? Or, or there aren't really the type of experiences that we like. We're trying to bring that to the digital world. Who knows if it happens? It's a very tall order. <laughs> and if we can succeed, then then everything is, is magical. But we're trying to bring those things that you can't really get when you just go to Amazon. Amazon is great for buying. It's not great for browsing or shopping. Browsing and shopping was done in retail, and that's changed. That's it's transforming. It's not dying, right? It's it's just changed. And there's always going to be a place for physical retail in some form or another. I think it's it's funny because what's old is new and what's new is old, meaning the brands that hate retail now will be the brands that are trying to be retailers in three, four, five years and sort of vice versa. Like, I guess it's sort of the you want what you can't have type thing. But Shawflix is just trying to bring those best parts. We like to see that if J.W. Nordstrom himself were to start a retailer today, to start his department store today, how would he do it? And we like to think that Shawflix is that way. Makes sense. What do you have in the pipeline for this year? Any any exciting stuff for 2021 and beyond? We have a couple. We're excited. We, I wish I had really hoped the contract was signed. I can't really announce it yet because the contract isn't wet and I'm sort of superstitious. But we have a a very mega brand that's going to launch a product with Shopflix. So that's exciting. Um, they're going to be a star of one of our shows, and we're going to write a show around uh, a product that they're launching. They're a major retailer that is launching a consumer product. We have an amazing uh, content calendar led by a woman named Mary Alice Haney, who's a celebrity stylist in Hollywood. She's been around for two decades. She's a stud. She knows everybody in Hollywood. She's not one of those celebrity stylists that says they're a celebrity stylist just because they take Instagram pictures <laughs> in Hollywood. She actually really is. We're going to do some shows with her. I have a big vision to turn her into the Jim Cramer of fashion and beauty. And we're just signing up great brands and, and trying to tell brand stories. We're, we're a retailer that has a media kicker or a media company that has a retail kicker. So we're always 
like retail, you're trying to do new things all the time. Your LTOs, your limited time offers, specials, act now. Like we're in the same way. We're always trying to come up with something special. We'll have our tried and trues just as McDonald's has the Big Mac and Starbucks has its Frappuccino. But it's really the the new stuff that comes out that's really buzzworthy that our brands are are liking. Love it. Love it. As as a super successful entrepreneur, what, what advice would you give to small retailers, restaurants, uh, restaurant operators that are looking to succeed, but either with that same location that they have or a couple of locations, or if they're looking to go big? One thing that I had a hard time with with Protein Bar is realizing that I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not Mark Zuckerberg. I'm not Jeff Bezos. These are Elon Musk's. These are titans of industry. And entrepreneurship nowadays is kind of cool. When I was coming out of business school in 2005, entrepreneurs were like the loser guys, the guys that couldn't get the jobs. And now thanks to those those names I mentioned, Mark Benioff will throw in there as well. Entrepreneurs are neat. They're cowboys, they're rock stars. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, but it's hard to do what those guys have done. And just because they're entrepreneurs and I'm an entrepreneur doesn't mean I can compare myself to them. And I think a lot of us out there just need to, to realize that those folks are special folks. We're all special too in our own right. And we're, we're best at the, in the world at whatever we're doing too. But not everybody is, is, is like that. So don't hold yourself to that measuring stick. Be the best entrepreneur you can be. If that means having one amazing retail location, whether it's a restaurant or a retailer, do it. Kick ass. Drive the four while you it as much as you can. Turn it into a nice lifestyle. Everybody is different. Elon Musk, different, different entrepreneur. If you want to be a retailer, be curious to see what it looked like. But it, he's different than us. Every entrepreneur is different. And the advice, I guess, is just define your own measuring stick and measure yourself against that. Yeah, makes I sense. Hard, I have a hard time of taking my own advice. That's what therapy therapy is all about. Love it. Love it. Matt, that was a wealth of information. Anything I forgot to ask you that you want to make sure our listeners know? Yeah, go Shopflix Studios on YouTube.com is where all it's. You don't need to subscribe. You don't need to do anything. Just go to the the site, watch them, watch some of our content. If you like it, engage with it. Um, if you really like it, download our app and buy a Yeti cooler or a Beats by Dre set of headphones. And we're open to feedback. So there's a feedback forum there. If if something isn't right with your experience, then we'd like to hear it. Awesome. I'm definitely gonna check it out. Awesome, Matt. Thank you again for for joining us today. It was super cool to get to know you and share uh, share your information with uh, with our listeners. I'm flattered you were you thought of us to do it. This is great. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com. <laughs>